get you go to school. And here's your name. What do you think of what's going on right now, mate? These evil little invisible parasites. Satan worshipping Freemason moron. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not run by factions. Get the fuck out of camera! There are much more powerful international forces in play. Is this pink guy? Is this what pink guy is? I don't fucking know what's happening. Please get outside and look at the moon quickly. It's been crazy, guys, but guess what? It's how it is, mate. Mate, because I want to do this well, I ain't spending any time on it. Welcome to the Conditional Release Program, a podcast that delves into the nether world of cults, crims, and con artists. I'm Jack the Insider, otherwise known as Peter Hoisted for tax purposes. And I'm Joel Hill, and today we have a special guest, the man known as Sam, aka Alternate Media Watch, who lives on Twitter. Give, he's going to give us the down low on the Cooker Fundamentalist Christian Connection. It yeah. overlaps hard. Uh, very much looking forward to that, Joel. And thanks to AMW or Sam for coming along. Yeah, and meanwhile in news, Jack is going to dismantle the right-wing anti-lockdown revisionism that somehow says Sweden won the pandemic. Did they, though? It's gold, 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 but not for Sweden. Mm. We'll give you the winner and placings later. And in most excellent news, we finally have a beer sponsor. This is one of the proudest moments in my adult life. What you do. Oh, well, yeah. Well, not actually. I'm actually drinking their, um, their draft, and it tastes disturbingly similar to Carlton Draft. It's not I'll as sweet on the back end. I'll certainly give it a try. So but I'm gonna give, go on, Joel. I'm going to give you the chance to decide Who is this that. wonderful company handing out free beer? So I've been a fan of this brewery, CB Co., for some time now. I've been drinking their beers for ages. They have six-packs, which I very much appreciate. I definitely lean toward their IPA, which comes in the yellow tin Ooh, and the Southwest Institute of Sour. Public Affairs. Oh, no. Yes, no, no. yes. Isn't it just not quite? No, they're actually quite left-leaning, which I'm a big fan of. And uh, basically just one of the folks at CB Co. reached out last week on Twitter and said that they love the tin cracks and they wanted to be the tin cracks. Oh, they're the I, tin cracks. Mm. I, want, I want them to be the tin cracks. So, listeners, I implore you, go out and buy all the CB Co. beers your arms can hold and then some. If you get the chance, swing by their Port Melbourne brewery. My mate Isaac, who is a craft beer wanker of the highest order, he <laughs> says it's bloody lovely. So if Isaac likes it and his standards are obnoxiously high, and of course they're sending me delicious free beer, so don't trust me, I'm going to say trust Isaac. He's not being paid to say that it's good. Well, I'm certainly going to give it a go, and you know how I'm deeply opposed to uh, this sort of thing I normally am. It's actually a nice Carlton draft. It's bizarre. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think you'll I'll like try. it. I'll try. I'll try. I like it. Look, while Joel is now getting his beer for free, we'd just like to remind our listeners that this show is also free, but we would love you to throw a few shekels our way so we can keep it coming your way. Yeah, so while the cost of the cans has been a genuine part of the production expense over time, sadly, my landlord doesn't take beers as payment, which is a missed opportunity on his Why not? Frank, get, get your act together. They're delicious. Simply go to patreon.com backslash the conditional release program and for as little as $5 a month, you'll have access to all manner of patent content, including a weekly premium episode, Zoom calls, monthly-ish, and just general chats and, you know, stuff. Yeah. So get on that, listeners. Now that Joel is getting his beer for free, we're going to need to pay for his alcohol counselling. Yeah. So I reckon just hit him in the head with a hammer until he stops, but I've been shouted down by the naysayers in the psychological community. Yeah. No touching. No touching. They're no touching. No, no, no touching. touching. No touching. No touching. <laughs> All right, if you insist, Joel. And now we need to get on with the show, and that means it's time for the Conditional Release Program's weekly news. Well, I love Sweden. 
And I love the Swedes. I love their meatballs, fjords, wonky IKEA furniture, and yeah. Volvos, which are like driving around in a Nerf car. A car made entirely of Nerf. It's so <laughs> safe. Isn't it just? And I love their anti-prostitution laws. Well, actually, I don't. Uh, these laws came in in the early years of the millennium, which huh. criminalised prostitution, huh. but not the prostitutes, but the Johns huh. who used ah. them. And now they cop a misdemeanor, crim- misdemeanor criminal charge if they're discovered in flagrante delicto, so to speak. Uh, Fair enough, some might say, but these laws have done little but push prostitution in Sweden underground. Ever since these new laws were implemented, Swedish governments, left and right, have contrived with Swedish law enforcement to manipulate crime statistics to make everything look hunky-dory. No. Prostitution is down where once it was going through the roof, mainly because politicians don't want to admit they were wrong. I feel like going through the roof, you could have made a joke about a boner and that, but I'm going to let it pass. I'm going to let it yeah, pass. Yeah, let yeah, that go. Yeah. But the telltale signs are there. Rather than having a well-regulated sex industry, sex workers now operate in the shadows. Uh, Johns aren't obliged to wear condoms and uh, often insist that they won't. Uh, and with that, we see Sweden's HIV AIDS numbers climb from, uh, well, they are now at 0.8% of the population, which doesn't sound like much, but mm. while other like countries, other Scandinavians like Denmark and Finland have rates of HIV AIDS at 0.1. That's eight times the rate in Sweden. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's heightened rates of sex trafficking. Yeah. Women dragged in from Eastern Europe and sometimes the uh, Middle East to work in the illegal sex trade in Sweden. Difficult to measure, but anecdotally, it is seen as a growing problem in Sweden where once there wasn't one. Mm-hmm. It's been a complete balls up egged on by moralists, to be frank. So when you say it's a good thing, uh, it's not a good thing at all. It's 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 not been a good thing. No, Criminalising no. prostitution, regardless of whether you – I mean, regardless of whether you uh, – uh, uh, hand the ticket out to the John or to the sex sex worker. Doesn't end well. Once you start criminalising it, you push it all underground, then it gets really unpleasant. It's going to happen. But look, we're not here to talk about that today. I'm no, sure we can talk about it for hours. We are here to talk about our love, our genuine love for Sweden love. and all things Swedish and acknowledge that our friends on the right, the right-wing commentariat, have found love for Sweden too. Probably mm. said they were communists for some time, but uh, they've come around. <laughs> to be fair, the right-wing commentariat had a bit of a kiss and cuddle with Sweden in the early days of the pandemic because Sweden did not impose lockdowns on their population. Mm-hmm. Aww, that's nice. The Swedes did impose some containment and prevention measures, but no lockdowns. People were urged rather than instructed to socially distance, wear masks, and advised not to crowd about, you know, the bars, the pubs. They stayed open. Just don't yeah. stand next to each other, you fucking idiots. Yeah. And look, it's sometimes said that the Scandinavians generally have that view that if if they receive uh, some advice from government, they tend to follow it. That's right. In Australia, perhaps we don't. Well... I'm not, sure, I'm not sure that they actually that, that actually stands up. Sweden's actually got quite a high crime rate at the moment, and some yeah. lots of tensions around immigrants and refugees. Yeah. Um, so I'm not quite sure that there is a great trust and faith in government that sometimes we associate with Scandinavian countries. Yeah, oh, that's what I've heard. I've heard that there's a general compliance with government advice, which you wouldn't find in places where uh, I don't know things like QAnon thrive. Although I'm sure there's a bunch of cupid idiots in Sweden as well. No, There'll be a few, quite a lot in Germany, not yeah, far away. Yeah, and the Netherlands as well, real fucked yeah. up. 
But anyway, that game of stick finger with the right ended in tears when Sweden started recording very high rates of COVID deaths. Oops, a daisy. Aww. So for the record, cumulative COVID deaths in Sweden as of March 21 this year were 23,813. Australia's were at 19,447. But Sweden is a country of 10.42 million people. Australia, rooting hard. 25.69 25.69 million people. That puts Sweden's COVID deaths at, because statistics are relative, 2,257 per million, almost four times that of Australia at 743 per million people. There you go. But the rights love affair with Sweden is back on because everyone from the World Health Organization down is now using excess deaths as the best measure of the lethality of the COVID pandemic. Excess deaths, the fucking word of the year. But look, this is pretty funny because the right had once regarded, and in many instances still do, the World Health Organization as run by a bunch of cynophile, communistic scientists hell-bent on depopulating the world or scientific communists trying to just Mm. shoot the babies with needles or something. But the reasoning is quite sound. COVID deaths are difficult to quantify. Shit gets fuzzy, especially in countries with little or no healthcare resources. I mean, it makes sense, but it is imperfect. So we'll get to Sweden's and Australia's excess deaths shortly because there's a bit to cover there. Trust me on that. This is long-winded. Mm-hmm. It'll take it's us good a little while, folks, yeah. but we need to dismantle some of the stuff that's been put about it's important. of late, which yeah. just really cherry-picks. But the, the right's renewed romantic entanglement with Sweden <clears throat> comes from a report from the OECD Library, the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, which is an intergovernmental organisation of 38 member countries, including Sweden and Australia. Its Secretary-General is our very own Matthias Cormann. Ooh, really? Yeah, that's right. The 38 countries feature mainly advanced economies, but also include Mexico, Chile, Colombia, Eastern European nations, and all of the Scandinavians. Fuck, I never knew the economic girly man was going to have prospects after that. Well done. Anyway, the report entitled Ready for the Next Crisis, Investing in Health System Reliance is a very worthwhile read and we'll pop the link up to the report on our Facebook page for those who like to get down into the dirty details. Mm, read it all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you're not being paid for it either unless Matthias is sending you checks like George Soros sends us. I mean, never mind. The report was released in November with little or no fanfare. Sad, there should have been a parade. But in just the last week, the usual suspects in the op-ed pages have descended upon it both here and in the US and hailed Sweden with its no-lockdown policy as the winner in pandemic management, which they've been trying to do for fucking ages. The problem is, and there's always a problem, let's let's, let's not let the right-wing sort of commentary ever off the hook. The problem is a lot of the data cited around the pandemic and the comparative analysis have been cherry-picked. No surprises there because a lot of these sort of right-wing commentary at times were opposed to lockdowns. They're desperate for Sweden to be on the right side of history. They were praising Sweden from day one or they've at least, you know, sort of come back to it as if to say that we were right all along even if they sort of didn't back that horse and stuff. Yeah, look, I'm in the commentary business and I know how it works. It's not about being right. It is about being certain. Yes. And so a bit of cherry picking normally goes on. But here we have commentary that appears so far from the conclusions in this report, not to mention the data, that it is doubtful if any of the Sweden-loving commentators have even bothered to read the executive summary. Mm -hmm. Indeed, it would seem someone on the right wrote a piece and then others 
other right-wing commentators came along and read that, and then they started writing their own stuff. But before we get into it, I want to say I am no fan of lockdowns. No one really enjoyed them, unless they're agrophobics. But in 2020, (laughs) when we had no vaccines and little science to go on, I accept they were necessary. But later, there was some very heavy-handed stuff going on. Victoria's long lockdown extended uh, until uh, there were zero community transmissions. Uh, I've never understood that. that. That is an extreme metric for opening up, and I would love to see the health advice on how that was implemented. But that is a deep secret, of course, that only a royal commission could and should explore. Ooh. Other states closed their borders for no good reason, and in New South Wales, parts of Western Sydney were locked down and some fuck-ugly measures introduced that were tougher on them than the rest of us. And there's some pretty shitty government intrusion stuff going on too. Victoria had curfews. Yeah, No yeah, one yeah. on the streets after 11 o'clock. I mean, what the fuck was all that about? Lazy. Other than the wallopers telling the government, you know, if you really want to control the populace, this is the best way to do it. Yeah. There was other nonsense. Closures of playgrounds in public parks for reasons (laughs) that made no sense. That's so true. Then. They made no sense then. I mean, we can do the revisionism, but they actually made no sense then. Yeah, it was pretty dumb. And no one traveling, uh, no one could travel beyond a five kilometer radius unless they had a permit. Why five or not four or six or seven? Again, what the fuck? Well, to be fair, they were containing people from the northern beaches who are playgrats who should never be allowed past the spit bridge. <laughs> no, no, no. Just that's, saying. That's not, that's not the way to talk about people you bet on to vote a certain way today, Joel. Oh, he's giving the cat away. Please, what a Wakehurst independent. Come on, don't vote in those little weird Hitler youth kids. Anyway, this will be out after you, so you'll know whether I ate shit or not. If I did, beers are on me. Um, so these policies should be properly investigated by a judicial inquiry. I totally, yes, they should. I, you know, I, I stand by that. But at the same time, I don't want to peace cookers too much. I fully appreciate that mistakes were made, but of course they're going to be mis- mistakes going to be made. Like the expression abundance of caution, which was first used by not my mate, then treasurer Josh Frydenberg, sucked in for losing your seat. It seemed to be the guiding principle of public policy during the pandemic and like fair game. Abundance of caution, man. Yeah, it's, let's, it's you know, let's not be revisionistic here. In short, we let's got a lot of things people. right and a fair bit wrong, and yeah. we need to study and examine our public policy responses. So when the next pandemic comes along, and it will sooner or later, yes, it will. We get a lot more right than we than we got wrong this time. I say internment camps for cookers is the first thing you have to do. <laughs> no internet. Number one rule, no internet for cookers. Make a list, take them to a camp, no internet. You're a totalitarian at heart, Joel, I know. As if I'm not right. The history of the pandemic is fairly straightforward. The first variants were devastating, and then we moved into the Delta phase with Australia and much of the world still having very low vaccination rates, and it was even more deadly, the Delta variant, and it was choking up hospitals and ICUs. Joel, you got Delta. I, yeah, I, I got. Look, I just got your so. middling Omicron, but uh, you got Delta. Well, I can't be sure because I didn't get a genome test, but what I can say is that Omicron sounds like it's a pussy bitch. I mean, the fact that it's killing people, I mean, blow them over with a feather, literally. I'm telling you right now, my experience with COVID was eye-opening and eye-closing. I thought I was going to catch up on like a whole bunch of TV shows and shit. I couldn't stay awake for more than 10 minutes. I sweat through everything I owned. My dunas became more salt than feather. <laughs> I had a fucking shit of a few days. Yeah, but I'm like glad I saw the other side of it. I've had the flu as well, and the flu fucking sucks as well. So, I mean, like, you know, fair game's fair. But Delta, 
Not a fan. Yeah, look, it seems like you've got a dose of Delta. My experience of COVID, I've had it once. Is, you know, I felt a bit shitty for a day. That was yeah. about it. And the next day, it was actually the next day I tested positive. Um, and but, but by then I felt fine. I was on my way out the door when my daughter said, hey, you probably should have another test, Dad, and came up positive. Yeah, yeah, it's tricky. Anyway, uh, look, I remember one Sunday morning when we used to record on Sunday morning. Yeah, um, we did. We recorded a CRP show when the South African data started coming through, a new variant, Omicron. It was more transmissible, more infectious, but less lethal. It looked good. I remember... I remember thinking, oh, this could be the way out. You know, this is this is the way out. And so it turned out to be. I mean, people still die of COVID. Australia's rate of COVID deaths was next to nothing in 2020. Of our nearly 20,000 deaths from COVID, 18,000 or so occurred in the last calendar year with little more than 2,000 cumulative over 2021. So, you know. Over, yeah, uh, over the, the two-year period, 2020 to 2021. Ah, yes, of course, 2020 yeah, no, I, I, to 2021, just, yes. Look, it's worth making the point that at the end of 2020, you know, there was less than 1,000. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the point is, and this is the real point, how are public policymakers expected to know or predict the less uh, lethal Omicron would arrive? I mean, they just simply couldn't you can't at that know time. That. Yeah, you can't exactly. revise all this back to go, oh, you know, COVID's not so bad. You couldn't exactly. do that because exactly. we've been spanked. We were getting spanked by Delta just literally weeks before. Yeah, and that's the thing. This is where the revisionism starts. As you, you, you know, you're using the word revisionism. I totally, I go with that. That's a great word to use for it because you've got this situation where people are revising history. You've got these anti-vax idiots, these grifters who are attempting to show that either vaccines are unnecessary pointing to these sort of hospitalisation rates now for the unvaccinated, which have declined statistically. But back in the Delta days, they were running at a rate of nine unvaxxed ICU admissions to one vaccinated. Delta fucked you guys up. You saw these anti-vaxxers yeah. coughing into live streams, pretending that it's because they got fucking microwaved by an LRAD. No, you had COVID and you can't stop coughing. Yeah, and look, there are, if you want to look selectively at statistics, it was 15 to 1 at certain times in hospitalisations and so, yeah, uh, you know, public policy makers, we have to remember that this was what was running around in terms of Delta, in terms of the the first strains of, of COVID were, were, were lethal, particularly lethal for unvaccinated people. And this is the middle of 2021, and the vaccine rates were still quite low. But back to the OECD study and, and, uh, and report and its use of excess deaths, which by the way, only covered the year, the two-year period between 2020 and 2021. Those are the only, that's the only data they quoted in that report. And in that time, Sweden's excess deaths ran at positive 3% compared to Australia's 4%, slightly more. And this obliged the right-wing commentators to look elsewhere beyond 2021, uh, most, as far as I can tell, using our world in data sources, which are perfectly valid uh, for excess deaths in Sweden and Australia and yeah. around the world, for that matter, and make comparisons between the two. So a Swedish epidemiologist, Anders Tegnell, studied excess deaths in his country, and by his measure, Sweden was number one on the podium. Sweet. Better than Australia? Better than everyone. Killing it. Well, not killing it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, not killing it. Yeah. No, no that, that's a good thing. So he compared excess deaths between the period starting 2017 at the end of 2019, you know, sort of pre-pandemic, but not far from it, with the start of 2020 to end 2022. And he came up with a figure of four plus four plus 
excess deaths in Sweden between the two periods. 4.4%, right? I'll just get you. Yeah, yeah 4.4% 4, 4. Um, excess deaths. So 4.4% yep. 4, 4. plus what had been experienced in that 2017 to 2019 period. Yeah, 4.4%. And this figure was hailed by anti-lockdowners and right-wing commentators as a triumph. Sweden wins. Go, go, go for Sweden. Yeah. But another epidemiological method using the period 2015 to 2019 as the baseline, which was the same measure used in the OECD report, by the way, showed Sweden's excess mortality between the start of 2020 and the end of 2022 at 5.62%, considerably more than the 4.4% Tegnell quoted, and above that of Norway on 5.08%, and Denmark on 2.52%. Both Denmark and Norway lockdowns. Ooh. But there are other measures we might associate with lockdowns, and they too are dealt with in the OECD report. They thought about some stuff. Yeah. So if we follow the argument of the right-wing commentators in Sweden with no lockdowns, there would be dancing in the streets, free rights for the kids, everyone oh. singing the dancing queen. <laughs> Yeah, look, and I just do want to break away and just say how good I think ABBA were. And I and I and I base this on a discussion with a sound engineer who said if you really wanted to get the same harmonies from Agnetha and Anna Freed, you would actually have to assemble a choir of six to eight six to eight women. <laughs> they just had such great range, such ability to harmonise. That's so um, funny. Yeah, they they the the. the, the the two girls particularly were wonderful. Two women, of course, were, 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 were particularly wonderful. And so I've got a lot of respect for that band. I've, I've anyway. got respect for ABBA. Like George Michael, I've got respect for. I don't listen, but, like, you know, whenever I hear, like, a George Michael tune come on the supermarket, I'm like, you're a good songwriter. Yeah. Well done, you. And you're a good guy, Rest too. In peace. He was a yeah, good guy, Yeah, he was guy, a good George guy, Michael. too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, oh. the logic goes, and we've heard it and read it hundreds of times, that Australia with long lockdowns would be utterly miserable by comparison with rates of depressive illness up the wazoo. Yeah. But the OECD report, the same one the right-wing commentators are quoting. Yeah. Based on a metric of the share of the population suffering from depression or showing symptoms of depression had Sweden's rate at 11% pre-pandemic, but in 2021 it was 30%, while Australia went from 10% pre-pandemic to 28%, a lower rate of depressive illness or symptoms in Australia with lockdowns than Sweden's without them. Mm-hmm. There's still very high figures on both Very counts. high figures. Let's not... Let's not, <laughs> let's not uh, Let's not gild the lily here, because you know a pandemic is going to cause it's going to cause depression. It's Pandemics going to cause are not anxiety. known for fun. Yeah, yeah, it's but a weird thing. That same OECD report that they're quoting from, yep. that these commentators are quoting from, revealed very clearly. There's a table. There's a chart. There's a whole lot of data there oh. revealed that Australia's rate of depressive illness or of the a presentation of symptoms of depression was lower than Sweden's. Yeah, but like you can you can easily you can miss that. You know, like you you might just like miss the page or well, they, um, you know, is, is the table big enough? Was the table big I'm enough? I'm not even sure that they've read the report. Certainly well, not in not not from cover to cover. Well, I have. 
Well, oh, look, yeah. sometimes the tables aren't big enough, okay? So I'm just going to say it's not their fault. I'm, I'm standing up for the bolts of the world who <laughs> need an advocate in times like this when they're getting called the, out the, for their fucking the, bullshit. There's a great yes, uh, Prime Minister episode, where they talk about the preparation of the executive summary of a report because that's all anyone ever reads. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. Ah. And I think a fair bit of that's been going on, but... In this particular report, and we'll pop it up again, as we say for, to, to our listeners, um, uh, we'll pop that OECD report. There's actually no executive summary there. Oh. <laughs> it's just you get straight into the guts. You just got to read the whole thing. Well, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that table was really small and, like, wasn't clear and was, like, really hard to read. Yeah. But, look, they also missed another me- critical metric, surprise, surprise, and this one is a classic that the right-wing commentary love to talk about. Yeah. Economic growth, GDP yeah. growth, GDP per capita growth—all the basic metrics they love to. Yeah, flop sometimes, over. sometimes I worry that the right has forgotten how to make money. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and read. <laughs> yes, and, too many and, YouTube and videos. Not read a lot. Yeah. Well, okay, so when we do the comparison here in Australia with lockdowns, GDP per capita per capita grew eight percent between twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty two, while Sweden's rose by only four ah. percent. On just a baseline of GDP growth, Sweden went into recession as Australia did in twenty twenty. Sweden's economy bounced back in twenty twenty one pretty hard with five percent growth. Well done them. Australia's GDP in twenty twenty two was two point two percent, but Sweden's recession driven by the pandemic was deeper and longer. There's a lot of data there. And we hope you're hanging in here because, like, this is a bit of a slog, but it's really worth knowing about. We have a bit more to go, but this is a hot topic in the conspiracy universe. And this is clarifying some shit that's going to be bandied about the next while. So listen up, take notes. Yeah. Look, it is quite true that Sweden's excess death rate is lower than Australia's now and has been for several months. The last comparable measure of all excess mortality between 2020 and 2022 Compared with 2015 and 2019 data, you actually have to have a baseline. You you can't say we've got excess deaths. What compared to what? what yeah, I, you know the first century AD. So <laughs> so so the the 2015 to 2019 is the baseline that the OECD chose, and in that comparison, Sweden's excess mortality was at plus 12 percent, and Australia's was at plus 10 percent. Little bit. Sweden uh-huh. wins that one a little bit. Most of that occurring in the year 2022. Look, it's not as if the right wingers are comparing apples with oranges. They are comparing apples with albino narwhals, you know. <laughs> and because excess mortality rates are not just driven by the pandemic. This is yeah. the problem with the, the World Health Organization has and explains. Right? There are other influencing factors. It's said Australia has an aging population problem. But Sweden has 20% of its population aged 65 or more. Yeah. Australia has 16% of its population aged 65 or more, more older people in Sweden. And this may account for Sweden's high rate of COVID deaths, particularly in 2020 and 2021. Might not just be lockdowns, might be a hot old no lockdowns. It might just be that they have more older people, therefore more therefore older deaths. Yeah. I'm not an yeah. epidemiologist. I'm not going to say what's yeah what's true and what's not, but I'm just going to tell you what the figures are. Yeah. You know, it probably it does have something to do with it. Anyway, another sweaty Swedish epidemiologist, Karen yeah. Modig, an epidemiologist at Sweden's Karolinska Institute, whose research focuses on ageing population, 
makes the point about this better than we could. This person is an epidemiologist and they've said, it's very difficult to compare countries and the longer the pandemic goes on for, the harder it is because you need a proper baseline and that baseline depends on what happened before. As soon as you compare between countries, it's more difficult because countries have different trends of mortality. They have different mm. age structures. And in the pandemic, they might have had different seasonal variations. Well, Sweden's in the Northern Hemisphere yes. <coughs> and Australia's in the Southern one. That's so, right. yeah, lots going on here. Lots of variables. Exactly. And there are other variants at play too, of course. Sweden's health system is better than ours yeah. by any number of widely accepted indices. Norway and South Korea generally sit at the top. Norway, for the most part, number one. Sweden around four and Australia around ten. Yeah, fair. So fair. that's another big thing too, the fair. ability for a health system to respond. Yeah. Norway's the best. South Korea, number two. And I mean, this is just a way, just, just a break away for a moment. When we look at most, uh, when we look at most data indices around good living, the, the top five countries are generally Scandinavian with South Korea throwing and yeah. sometimes Japan. Yeah. Let's be completely fair about this. Sweden did quite well in pandemic management, but better than Australia? Well, that's arguable. But in the metrics established in the OECD report, a report cited selectively by right-wing commentators, uh -huh. Australia performed better. Yep. It was Denmark with lockdowns. Who won the gold medal? To they be had honest, the mix, they had the mix of good factors, it, you know. Yeah, you whatever know. the whatever the Danish national anthem is, cue it and play it. <laughs> but that still leaves a mystery of Australia's excess deaths. Try and sort of wade through the morass of that. Fuck, it's so many variables involved, really. The last published figures by the ABS, as of the period November twenty two to January twenty twenty three, show excess deaths at twenty two thousand two hundred eighty six higher than the period of twenty fifteen to twenty nineteen. So let's just say there is a rate of excess deaths of 15.1%. For that for that quarterly period. For period. that quarterly it period. It varies. Yeah. It does I can vary. Actually, yeah. I, while, I went, while I went looking through the data, I discovered that the 2022 Christmas Day in Sweden, just a Christmas Day, right? Not a, not a long period, compared with compared with the 2015 to 2019 Christmas Days, had, a, had, a, had an increase of 28%. Now, Oof. I don't know if there was a train crash or whatever, yeah. whatever happened. Something bad. But, but something bad happened. So you can look at these things in great, great, great selectivity. But, but we do have a, a, a rate of excess deaths that are running around 10%. And in the last quarter, measurable by the ABS, it is 15.1% or 22,286 so excess deaths. More than we expect. More than usual 15.1% percent of people on top of those who would have been expected then to die Then what anyway. is expected historically? Expected, yeah, in, yeah in, exactly. In this case, that 2015 to 2019 this is like, period. This is one of those things where, like, it's a significant number. It's definitely worth noting. But it is falling straight into the hands of anti-vaxxers. Like, Monica Smith's fucking obsessed with it. Ralph Babbitt, old Zippy's going to bring it into Parliament. He's going to make a whole big deal of it. I think Antic's on board and Rennick's on board as well. At the end of the day, though, when it comes down to what these guys are saying, they're insinuating that it's the vaccine. If it wasn't the vaccine, they wouldn't care. Yeah. I it's saw, the only I, thing I, that matters. I saw Monica Smith 
walking around, I think, the Burke Street Mall, but some crowded area anyway, shopping mall somewhere, just pulling people up and saying, oh, we've got all these excess deaths. What do you yeah, think the cause? For, yeah, what do you gross. think the cause, cause of it is? And they go, um, because it's a complicated question They're and not, not many people turn their minds to it. And doctors. then she goes, then she just prompts him and goes, what about the vaccine? He goes, yeah, it could be the vaccine. Yeah. And, and obviously she's only broadcasting the ones that she wants people to see. So, you know, like for every one of those, then at least one person who's like, uh, Monica, can you go fuck yourself possibly? And <laughs> all the, like imagine getting the blooper reel of that. I would just love to see it. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I just wish you'd come up to come up to me and go, oh, so so what, what category are those deaths? I mean, would you, would you like to go back and have a look at, at the at the death rates in 2020 and 2021 when the vaccine rolled out, it's the vaccine that you actually, the actually that, that strongly you actually opposed. strongly opposed. Yeah, and I of mean, course, filming the entire time, being like, "Oh, just in case you don't capture the footage, I'm going to capture it no, for I'm you." I'm going to very selectively edit all of this stuff because that's the thing. Yeah, like you know, the whole idea behind all this is the vaccine is either killing us. It's turning us into fucking glow-in-the-dark salamanders with shriveled genitals and no purpose to live, and that's mm-hmm. the reason why the suicide rate sometimes goes to the roof because we've all turned into lizards. I don't know. The problem well, is, uh, is it's honest, a dumb I'm, narrative. I'm quite looking forward to being, you know, amphibian. You know, it's really be fun. You know, well, look, slither around on Earth and go. Oh, maybe a swim. I've heard and, that it um, apparently comes with a lot of money and power, uh, according to David Icke. So maybe this is going to work out really well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what the anti-vaxxers try and prove. But the truth of it is no one is quite sure why at this point because it's just a bit too early, but it is at least in part pandemic-related. Not vaccine, no. pandemic-related. Yes. And to shit upon people like Monica Smith from a great height, the data offers us more detail than she would care to contemplate. No, she's not smart. Neither am I, to be In terms of cause of death, and I just want to explain this to because this is actually a little bit problematic too, that when we get to cause of death, it will often, the ABS will use a death certificate, which is not always the best means of determining a cause of death. But it's the only one you've got, right? Yeah. Particularly, and and, and the, the example I might like to give is that someone in an aged care facility, for example, who might have a string of long-term illnesses and, 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 and issues, uh, and that person passes away, that person might may well have passed away due to renal failure. Yeah. But it yeah. May, it, the death certificate might feature something else that yeah, might that's be cardiovascular enough. disease or something like that. So, so it's, it's an imperfect system is what I'm saying. Yeah. But in terms of what the ABS has published, uh, the cause of death, the greatest rise in the cause of death is in diabetes. Really? It's at 19%. Fuck. Diabetes. What? Then follows dementia and Alzheimer's at 11.7% okay. increases. Yep, fair. Or an increase. Yep. Dementia and Alzheimer's lumped together. That's uh, sad, but yeah. Uh, and, and, and well, we'll just reflect on how that could be vaccine-related. Say what? Uh, the, yeah. The vaccine gave me diabetes. That's insane. That's completely ridiculous. There is no link at all. Even cookers aren't making the link between diabetes and vaccines. Like, I mean, maybe they'll start after <laughs> this episode, but, but like, that's I mean- the That's the biggest one. Then follows dementia and Alzheimer's, as I say. Death by cancer 
have actually declined in terms of age standardised rates. A little bit, good. little bit higher. Probably the but, medical science that these people fucking hate so much. But when we when we look at the statistics, probably it's just a little bit lower deaths by cancer. And this is one of the things that 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 was um, that any that any lockdown people were expecting. And, and absolute. And look, it is very early. It is very very early. Yeah. In terms of cancer diagnoses and things like that, but. Uh, a lot of the anti-lockdown people were saying that because we were in lockdown, people would not people would develop symptoms that might be cancerous, but they would refrain from going and get tested. Yeah. They would refrain from going and get scanned. They would refrain from going and get blood tested, those sorts of things. Yep, that's so a very that reasonable can- thing. And the prediction, therefore, was that our cancer rates would spike. Yep. We did see some of that in the UK. But yep. in Australia... Just in the last quarter, deaths by cancer have actually declined in real terms. Good. Deaths by respiratory disease, which includes COVID, have, incl- have, have, have risen only by 5.7%, while strokes are down by 8.7%. Wow. That's and that's the list. That's, that's, that's what the ABS has given us. Yeah, I'm not, okay. I'm not holding anything out here. Cardiovascular disease... Um, it's not included um, in, in, in the figures. Again, we're dealing with somewhat rubbery sort of figures in terms of cause of death. Uh, and we will know more. We will have developed a greater knowledge as we go by. And this is on this 15.1% increase. The previous period was around 12. And it may well settle down. I mean, who knows? It's it's almost certainly pandemic-related to a point. It may have a lot to do with people living particularly in aged care facilities um, and, uh, and, and, and possibly suffering COVID and then becoming ill with other things, but we don't really know. No. It's very hard. It's very hard to quantify. But it would be absolutely nuts to think that any rise in diabetes or any of these illnesses was vaccine-related. Yeah. But you'll hear it from Antic and Babbitt and all these other clowns. And they just need to be taken down a peg or two because they are, they're either lazy or they're willfully blind. There are no other options. They're either ignoring the facts that they're either ignoring the statistics or the explanatory notes around statistics or uh, or, or or they're just willfully blind to them. They are willfully ignoring them. Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no other options. Yeah, that's they're either lying or, or they're too fucking lazy to look it up. And it's on the same page, right? Yeah. It's not as if you have to go. Well, I better go and look at some other websites. It's right there in the ABS data. Yeah. And God, I love data. You, you do. Know? You do. We are sorry we have had to dive so deeply into it, but it is data that exposes the bullshit artists and the ideologically transfixed, and we will get up them every time. Yeah. Good lad. The cows have fucking masks on. Everybody is up for the high jump. If they deserve it, if they deserve to hang, they will hang. Rise up, Australia. Men of Australia, time to step up and be real men. Protect your kids or go down. Biggest cowards this country has ever seen. Hang that animals. And on this week's Cooker Update, we are joined by Sam, otherwise known as Alternate Media Watchers on Twitter. And Sam does excellent work watching fascists and reporting on them with these excellent politics and minimum waffle, which, fuck, I really appreciate that. 
I strongly recommend a follow if you're still sort of hanging out with Elon's blue bird and that sort of toxic wasteland he's created. But we do have to take this moment to thank him, but also for others, for the work they do, because that's the shit that makes this podcast possible. If I had to watch streams and cut things and no, everything's all neatly packaged up for me, which I can just steal on Twitter and put into a script and then we can record the show. So big thank you, everyone. Say thank you. Good. Thank you, audience. And uh, now let's cut to the chase. What the fuck happened on Tuesday, 21st of March? A lot. A lot happened on Tuesday. <laughs> did, um, did. I'm sure everyone's seen it by now. So Probably. a group of hundreds of men, somewhere around 500, associated with an organization called Christian Lives Matter, turned up in an event held at St. Michael's Church in Belfield where Mark Latham was meant to be speaking. Can't. It was made clear that they turned up with the intention of violently assaulting LGBT activists from the group CAR, or Community Action for Rainbow Rights, who had publicly advertised the protest at the event. CAR were there to protest the event, which led to a counter-protest from CLM. The activists from CAR were heavily outnumbered. There was about 15 people there from CAR, and um, it's sad to say that they weren't ready for 500 people. No. Or for a fight. CLM had clear intent to commit acts of violence. They made it very clear in the run-up to this event. Yeah, they were pretty fucking brutal. We'll talk about that in a bit. But, like, basically, just to give you an idea of what the car group is, it's basically a bunch of uni student activists, mostly from UCID. And I know the type. When I went to Sydney University, most of them have these sort of good intentions. They run for student politics. They can be kind of annoying. Some of them are pricks. But to their credit, they turn up. They do. Like, you know, they've got infinite spare time. But, fuck, they don't. They turn up. And in this situation, they really turned up. And as you'll hear as this episode goes, you've got to respect that because this was in the face of calls for serious violence, which, like I say, we're going to get to. They showed up to say, loudly and proudly, the transphobic bigots like Latham are not welcome in polite society and can fuck right off. Now, I, on the other hand, brave me, stayed home and watched it on Twitter. So... Genuine respect for these kids walking to the lion's den, most of them in their early 20s, and just respect. Yeah, exactly. Much respect for them showing up. I mean, I don't even think they made it onto the church grounds. They were just – it was doomed from the minute they got there, you know. Um, Luckily, there was some police there to at Mm -hmm. least form a blockade around them. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, CLM members followed them and – you know, demonize them, yelling fuck off back to Newtown, don't come back to this area, grubs, calling yeah. them animals. I even saw in one video someone um, was from the group was trying to calm other people down. There were a couple of members like that saying okay. they've had enough, they're humans, and other people saying no, they're not to, to these poor, you know, like just Whoa. dehumanizing these people. Fuck. And I mean, the irony is that these bozos were recently in Newtown prattling off prayers on King Street and intimidating diners in the restaurants as protests about a little joke about Jesus that aired on the project, you know, conveniently at the end of Pride Month, yeah. which most locals said, you know, fuck off out of Newtown, leave us alone, including Jenny Long. Yeah, yeah, local MP for the Greens who basically made it very clear on a platform, uh, we don't want you here, which is funny because, like, I guess, what, like, are we having postcode wars now? Is this, like, is that is this where we're at? <laughs> yeah. You know? I know. Going to have to get, like, 2042 tattooed on my leg it's or like something. The, the movie Warriors, but, like, a yeah, sad exactly. version. Exactly. It's pathetic. And look, I just want to preface this because we get very doomsday-ish on this podcast because we tend to cover the sort of the worst case scenario. We need to remember... 
the tolerant in this society when it comes to anyone in, as the bigots like to say, the alphabet, but across the whole spectrum. Generally speaking, people are very tolerant. That's the majority of people, the absolute majority of people. You saw the, you know, people marching for the last month in solidarity with the LGBTQIA community. The intolerant bigots that we're about to discuss, these hate peddlers, these extremists, and of course these annoying perpetually online turfs, they're on the fringe. But the thing about violence is it amplifies everything. So for every pride walk across the Harbour Bridge where we all shake each other's hand and fly flags, one swung fist can just cancel out an entire city full of goodwill. And that is what's happening here. This entire situation is being underpinned by what I would call imminent violence, which kind of nixes a lot of that warm feeling. Yeah, it's 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 not a very good situation. Um, no. So Christian Lives Matter is an online group created in 2017, conveniently just before the same-sex marriage plebiscite. And in the lead-up to that, they were very vocal about how much they hate LGBT people. Oh, yeah. The group's leader is a man by the name of Charlie Barkos. So the group has about 26,000 members on Facebook, 18,000 on Instagram, and it claims to rally around people for the persecution of Christians in the Middle East. But yeah. it's front for just a hate group. They're just a yeah. hate group. Yeah. So they, they have an undertone of violent rhetoric towards anything they see as a threat to their religion. Yeah, exactly. They're like, oh, no, we're under threat. We're the perpetual victims. By the way, we're going to beat the shit out of people. I mean, like, I would go as far as to say that this is also a perceived threat against their sort of patriarchal power. They're a very masculine group, and there's a real sense of male dominance there, and they do not want to lose that grip. You know, they're terrified of losing this power. Daniel Morrison speaks about this extensively and the whole reason why QAnon exists. It's the patriarchy's dying throes, but they're willing to express this power in very masculine forms, in the form of violence, in order to hold on to this power, desperately clawing onto it. Yeah, definitely. And as I've been looking through the groups this week, there's been a lot of Andrew Tate videos on some of these oh, people from CLM's profiles. Of and there is. You know, things like that being That's posted. That's so embarrassing. Yeah, I think so as well. I like to call him Dal Sim now. Yoga fire! Yeah. The group was very active in voicing its opposition to the same-sex marriage plebiscite with posts on their Facebook arguing that same-sex marriage would be, you know, just that slippery slope argument that will lead to pedophilia, bestiality oh, and incest. And video, they post videos of people painting over their LGBT artwork like George Michael and Jesus in the inner west. That was great, yeah. These absurd claims were legitimised by clowns like Corey Bernardi and Bronwyn Bishop and also used as ammunition in the campaign by the Australian Christian lobby to soak fear into the hearts of Aussie voters scared yep. by a big, bad gay conspiracy. They're coming for our children. <sighs> yeah. Shut up. Yeah. It's just repurposed tropes, you know? Exactly. Yeah. During the pandemic, though, there appeared to have been a bit of a split in the Sydney church down the lines of anti-vaccine and pro-vaccine. Interesting. And with Sydney's, Sydney's communities... Um, their ethnic communities, they're very sceptical of being told what to do by governments and power structures yeah. outside of the church. Yeah, so a yeah. lot of these people, and I, I have a couple of friends who fit into these, these, you know, I have a couple of Croatian friends and stuff like that that fit into these groups and they were just, you know, just fell straight into their anti-vax um, conspiracies. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, there's been a lot of crossovers between the Christian Lives Matter movement and the uh, freedom movement. So yep. we see figures like that one of the admins from Our Voices Matter, which is run owned by Alan Hashim, a prominent anti-vaxxer by the name of um, Diana Bood. She okay. um, she's a 
affiliated with Christian Live Matter. We're seeing lots of videos of Romeo Georges now. He's um, back. Posting about Christian. Yeah, yeah. He's found his new cause, you know, after he's been Great. defeated by, um, yeah, been Griffith defeated by the anti-vax war. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had to laugh. I saw a video. I saw a video of him in one of these CLM affiliated groups the other day where he was like going on about how he played up his role of like being this angry guy because he was told to by big wigs in the movement oh, to like, off. you know, garner support. But he's really this calm and enthused, like calm and normal guy. And then yeah. two seconds later in this video, he's just spit flying and screaming <laughs> in the video, you know, like it's just hilarious. That's great. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's other figures like Joel Jamal that's been targeting CLM Eyebrows. members. Yeah, eyebrows. Well, eyebrows one and eyebrows two. Um, we've got two of them in the in the anti-vax movement. So yes, true, he's been true. targeting. He's been targeting like content on Telegram to the CLM people. Okay. We also have Millie Fontana. She attended the Channel Ten protest against um, the project. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yep, yep. And Yusra Rose spoke at um, the event on the 18th of March, organised by the leader of Stand for Our Children's Future, which is kind of a group affiliated under Christian Lives Matter. Yep, yep. Yeah. So Jamal, Fontana and Rose were all heavily involved in various forms of political organisation during the anti-lockdown movements. Yusra Rose is, a you know, a right-wing conspiracy theorist who dabbled in anti-5G nonsense as well as being a Muslim act- activist. She's also um, being being charged with um, convincing neo-Nazi Sherman Burgess with uh, transferring over to Islam. Oh, she converted him. Oh, that's very funny. Yeah, yeah. Nice work. So there's well a couple done. of images of that those together, and I think he's spoken about her. Um, yeah. So um, stand for our futures crew are clearly just hardcore Christians, though. You know, mm-hmm. it, it feels like there's a bit of an unholy alliance at the moment between you know the religious Christian sect and the religious Muslim sect. There was actually even a fight between the two at the protest on the 18th of March. Ooh, interesting, interesting, yeah. spicy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's a bit of an unholy alliance because um, there's no been a bit intended. of a trouble there before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> so the. So the combination of mistrust and being terminally online in these echo chambers propagated by culture war nonsense has radicalised Christian Lives Matters members. Also, their parishes, with the leader of Stand for Our Children's Future, Charlie Talk, attending Christ the Good Church Shepherd, where Murray Murray Emanuel often gives these ludicrous speeches about the pandemic and, you know, the, the trans agenda and, yeah. It's, the agenda. It's some wild stuff. The yeah. gay conspiracy. Yeah. So Charlie Barkos frequents the church St. Michael's Belfield where we saw the riot and he's been listed on their Facebook as a speaker of many events. During lockdowns, he made videos with prominent figures like Martin Isles from the Australian Christian Lobby, Miranda Devine, and he also ironically spoke very highly of George Pell, which which is hilarious because Isn't it the just? real pedos, these guys just, you know, they want nothing nah, to do with them. No but issue, no these problem. Ones that, these these ones that they invent in their mind, they're just yep. like hell bent and leather on going after, you know? Exactly. It's fucking it's, it's it's it'd be great and hilarious if it wasn't so sad and troubling. Yeah, I know. If it wasn't underpinned with this like doomsday rhetoric that's leading towards violence, there'd almost be some comedy in it, you know? Exactly. I'm finding it so hard to find this funny, which is really annoying because the whole point of the podcast is meant to be funny, but we have to cover <laughs> yeah. this. I mean, like, it is what yeah. it is. So there's another group within Christian Lives Matter called Militus Day, which vaguely translates to Soldiers of God in Latin. 
It's a group formerly known as Brothers United in Christ, who have held events linked with former longtime New South Wales parliamentarian and far-right Christian figure Fred Nile. In 2015, they had an event called Holy City March, which was in Belmore Park against never accepting Sharia law court or courts and halal food taxes, mm-hmm. which is kind of ironic because this unholy alliance that they've got with, you know, members of the, the, yep. the Islamic community against LGBT people. Short memories. Yeah. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. The event actually has this disclaimer on it that says, we will not keep quiet to appease a minority in this country. This is our proud democratic Christian country. And they're, right. they're talking about Muslims in, in this sense, you know? Yep. So they're always yep. out to demonize someone, this group. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they'll, they'll hold you back. Don't worry. Don't worry. One of the members of this group, Simon Curry, he posted about the events at St. Michael's Belfield on Tuesday. He's linked back to Christian Lives Matter. Uh, he kind of made a post that was being like, we don't condone violences, but dot, dot, yeah. dot, you know, and then but. went on to excuse excuse yeah. and justify but yeah so one of the men who was arrested uh with incitement for tuesday was a man by the name of christian sukar who posted a video stating that anyone who wanted to go pray with charlie barkos the leader of clm could go and pray while yep. the real men would wait for members of car and he yep. encouraged people to drag them out by their hair fucked up yeah sukar actually said yep. that and this is just one of those things where it's like, you know, they weasel around the idea of violent intent. It can be absolutely squared up when he said this on a video posted to social media. Hey, Michaels, if you're going down tomorrow uh, to, to, to see the protesters, there is only one way. And that way is to grab them and you drag them by their fucking hair and you fucking get them out of there. If you want to go pray the rosary, you take Charlie Beckles with you and you go to St. Charbel's and pray the rosary there. You you go pray the rosary there. To the real boys, to the real motherfucking Gs, you go there tomorrow and you fucking shake them up and you drag them by their fucking head and you remove them from St. From, from, from Michael's Billfield. Time to rise. Time to let them know where we stand. That's the only answer I've got for you. Peace be with you tomorrow at St. Michael's. But is that what Jesus would do, mate? You know, what would Jesus do? (laughs) Probably not that, you reckon? But, like, just imagine saying with a straight face, peace be with you after inciting that kind of violence. And, like, this is just one of those, like, real previews into this cracked alternative reality their brains live in. Oh, yeah, peace be with you, by the way. Smash those cunts. Oh, yeah, they've, they've definitely started to believe some very strange things. Fucking so wild. Christian Sukar, he's been a member of Christian Lives Matter since September 2021, and he was the brave soul who videoed was videoed intimidating people while removing ribbons at the gates of St. Mary's Cathedral that the church had agreed to leave up during George Pell's funeral to represent the victims of institutional child sexual abuse at the hands of the Catholic Church. So while CLM have used the sort of weaponized concept of grooming against trans people, which is a bit of a social media trip that's ended up touching grass for a very sad reason, they sort of, you know, they, they push the idea of pedophilia in the trans community, but, like, they're literally out there simping for an actual pedophile protector. He actively protected pedophiles so they could continue perpetrating upon children. And, of course, let's not forget, like, it was quashed by the High Court, but he's an alleged actual pedophile as well. So, I mean, this is the thing they do while making violent threats to people who they are just baselessly accusing of interfering with children because they're trans or because they're gay or because they're different. I mean, you can't make this shit up. 
but it's completely unsurprising to see people on the right creating these kind of narratives in their brain to justify their bigotry. They're bigots first, and then they're fan fiction writers to justify it. And this is the thing they do while exercising this wild hypocrisy, which on face value is completely absurd, to maintain this sort of purity of their group, their religion, and their greater movement. Oh, man, I'm against pedos. Congratulations. Everyone's against pedos except for pedos, you fucking mutant. God damn. Yeah, ir- irony is truly dead. Just dead, yeah. Like, you actually support Pell, who was helping kitty fiddlers fiddle kids across many years, hundreds of victims, and now you're getting angry at a few people with a different gender identity than you're comfortable with. I just, I can't. I can't yeah. fucking deal with this shit. Anyway, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, so the group Christian Lives Matter, it operates really ambiguously. So... It's basically just a Facebook group with members that they can rally around their causes so that every time something happens, they can just distance themselves from the people who did it and wipe their hands clean. They can be like, no, they weren't with us. No, this wasn't organized but with us. But it's run by Charlie Barkos and the overtones of the messages clearly express a violent intent, you know, like then they're there to demonize and radicalize radicalized they're there to demonize the lgbt community and radicalize people against them absolutely absolutely yeah it's completely fucked up yeah so we've seen since tuesday charlie barkos telling the sydney morning herald that he didn't know 90 percent of members who were at the 90 percent of the people who were at the attack at st michael's the only issue with this though is We've been identifying, I've been identifying a couple of the members that were there and stuff, and they're all members of the Facebook page. Yeah, so he's lying, basically. Well, let's not say he's lying. Let's say that it's looking like on the face that he might not be telling the truth. Yeah, so it's just just set up so that he can wipe his hands clean of any responsibility, you know? That's what it sounds like. Yeah, that's that's pretty crummy. So Christian Sukar has also come out in an interview with you know, right-wing pest Chris Coveries, yes. claiming that the activists from Carr were actually sent by the government to bait the group <laughs> into a situation. I know, the audacity, right? I know. To bait the group into a situation that would portray them as a violent mob. Yeah. This was part of his little post-protest apology tour that Chris has been on to help oh, yeah, Christian Lives Matter. So they both sat down with a straight face discussing what an absolute, what is absolutely a cooked conspiracy theory. Yeah, or the government this is sent the, de- the Antifas. Yeah, yeah. So this is the depth of their paranoia. Yeah. They simply can't handle reality. They need to create these narratives. So he's also feigned this tone of responsibility, you know, by saying yeah. that they would be happy to sit down and talk with the, the members of CAR and people from the LGBT community. Uh-huh. But his demands are to keep from pushing this made-up agenda onto people like himself and his children. And you just can't sit down and discuss a made-up agenda. Exactly. It is. It's all fucking made up. Like, it's one of those things where you can't disprove a negative. And this is one of those sort of basic tenets of disinformation where if someone comes up and does this thing, it's it's a classic sort of atheist thing. We're like, okay, cool. Well, there's a flying spaghetti monster in the sky. Disprove it. And you can't. You cannot disprove there is a flying spaghetti monster in the sky. And it is a perfect analogy for the absurdity of coming forward with something which is complete nonsense and then telling me, okay, now you've got to work with this. No, I refuse to work with these things because they're bullshit and you've got to call them out for what they are. And I think people are doing that well <laughs> on social media. Because, I mean, like, realistically, what the fuck does talking mean when the demands are essentially from these Christian Lives Matter guys, the trans people don't exist. That is the fundamental part here. They have 
very, very consciously equated the trans community with pedophiles. So they have created a situation where it is impermissible that they exist at all. I mean, no one's going to sit here and argue that we should have at least a good representative pedophiles in the fucking community. That's just not an argument at all. So you've got this situation where trans people aren't pushing an agenda. They are simply trying to exist. So what, if they have these fucking conversations about what's good and what's not and what's keeping away from kids and then suddenly Coles decides to run a trans flag in the catalogue because Mardi Gras around the corner, does that mean negotiations have now broken down? The ceasefire is over? The lads can go crack some heads in Newtown for the night? We know they want to. It's hard to, I mean, to rationalise with irrational people. Exactly. They're like, it's ridiculous. But the thing that's really fucked about this is that generally speaking, when you have these sort of like, you know, negotiations, bad faith is just annoying. But in this situation, with this kind of militaristic tone, it's not annoying. It's alarming. I mean, like, it's, it's really quite scary the way this has been jacked up to 11 by these fucking steroid munching fucks who are desperate to take their small ball anger out on anyone who can't fight back at them. It's fucking disgusting. But anyway, let's pivot back to Chris Coveries because this is the funny part of the whole situation. So he got into a bit of a spot of trouble with the lads at the Latham event in Belfield, didn't he? Yeah, he sure did. So yes, he did. these communities, these these you know, these Western Sydney communities are very distrusting of outsiders. And Chris has yes. got this false sense of False sense of security from his time videoing the protest movements, uh, especially those around the freedom movement. Very different. And Chris beast, yeah. went into the yeah. Chris went into the CLM crowd with his usual enthusiasm and found he wasn't very welcome. No. With a large man telling him to get the fuck out of there and pushing him to the ground, Aww. the camera captured the look on his face as he lay there waiting for the boys who ran up and started to attack him while he was on the ground. That's very unfortunate. Look, honestly, I actually did when I saw the report of this uh, and watched the video, I genuinely felt a feeling of sorrow for him. So I went to send him some well wishes and it turned out he blocked me on Twitter. Anyway, look, <laughs> at the time, it was a genuine look of confusion and fear because the camera pivots there and you see his face as he lies on the ground and waits for what's going to happen next because he was in deep, deep shit and he knew it, but he wasn't sure how deep. And that's the confusion part. He wasn't sure how terrified he should be, but he was definitely terrified. And yeah. for good reason. Yeah, definitely for good reason. So a couple Fuck of the yeah. guys from CLM actually managed to recognise him and they jumped in the middle and, you know, sort of stood over him, protecting him, picked him up, dusted him off. A couple of the guys who were digging into him took his phone and smashed it and his other gear was damaged in the process. So now he started a fundraiser to recoup the damages because, you know, he doesn't plan on taking any action against the assailants. No, no, he doesn't. And, like, you know, this, of course, is in stark, stark contrast to situations of the past where left-wing activists have had altercations with Chris. I mean, nothing even close to this. One activist that we know who I don't want to sort of, you know, bring up too much spat on Chris, which was bad. I do not endorse that in any way, shape, or form. I think it was out of order but to a certain extent provoked, but I still won't stand by it. The thing is, is after that, Chris made a statement and had them charge for the offence. So he's pushed to the ground in this situation. His gear is smashed intentionally. He's almost beaten to a hospital-grade pulp. And what does he do? He does an apology to her. No yeah. shit. Like, yeah. he actually starts doing interview after interview, sucking up to the people who wanted to beat the shit out of him, mostly Crazy. for the sake of making content because he uh -huh. knows that the protest movement he covers are pivoting towards this religious extremism and anti-trans agenda, which happens to suit a bit of his personal politics, if what I believe. Yes. So 
it gives him a source of content to continue his hobby as a content creator. Absolutely. Initially, Chris's statement was vague about who attacked him, which implied at face value that it was the trans right activists that were behind it, and he was saved by Christian Lives Matter. Yeah. But after a bit of after a bit of pressure on on Twitter from you know a few people and one of our own sauce, he posted a bit of a correction. But the fact that he made this vague real shuffle away from his attempt to be a neutral objective journalist and towards being another Rukshan style mouthpiece for the right it was a bit pretty funny. clear. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah. yeah. I mean like he also posted this meandering video. I mean you posted the relevant clip which I really appreciate because I'm not going to watch the fucking content. He's <laughs> just there he's filming himself doing this sort of stream of consciousness and he's repeated the claim that the two sides needed dialogue. Which of course as we said, it's disingenuous when one side believes the other side should not exist. So where is the middle ground here, Chris? I mean, like, as you retweeted, um, once again, this most of this is based on your work. That's why I grabbed you in. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm just going to rip you off. I may as well get you to come in and actually do this with me. <laughs> so someone named Syrian uh, summed it up really nicely in a reply on, um, on your tweet, which just simply said, there is no middle ground with people who want to exterminate you. And like, like I say, yep. the trans activists, trans rights activists, I'm not sure if that's even the right term, but I'm going to go with it, fucking whatever. They don't have demands. Everything here is defensive. It's a, there's no sword. It's, it's just shield. Yeah, all they want is to just exist, you know, to yeah. be left alone to exist. Exactly. It's fine. You're a girl. Get over it. Yeah. So Chris has been doing this apology tour to become best mates with the people that wanted to beat the shit out of him (laughs) it's likely that they've attacked him because they thought he was part of the lgbt protesters at the event and it's quite likely the only reason he was saved was because people there namely christian sukar recognized he wasn't Yeah, yeah so we can only imagine what would have happened to him if you know someone didn't actually identify that he wasn't with the people that this mob was looking to you know violently assault yeah yeah if he wasn't mates yeah. 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 So a pedophile protector in them in their minds is, you know, validation for violence. And I mean most of us would agree that pedophiles are fair game for violence. Nobody likes a kitty fiddler. So if you want to beat someone half to death, just visualize them as pedos. Problem solved. Yeah. I mean he's he's lucky he got out of there in one piece. Yeah, I saw a hospital in that situation and he is lucky. He's very lucky. I dread to think what would happen if they thought he was trans activist, because like like you say, you know, like you know, they just equate them to pedophiles because they're fucking basic and stupid and they want an excuse to execute violence. But anyway, look, uh, as a side note, while Stockholm Syndrome has been thoroughly debunked, and if you want to know more about that, my sister's book explains that in detail. It's called See What You Made Me Do. It's available in all good bookstores. Please go and buy it. But this does feel like that idea of Stockholm Syndrome. So, you know, he's threatened with extreme violence, then he's spared by his assailants from further violence, and now he's simping for them in this series of pointless videos that appeal to their call for some kind of midpoint. A midpoint that, as I've said a thousand times now, doesn't exist. No, not at all. No. So there is a little tiny shred of comedy about this. So while Chris (laughs) has been doing his apology tour, Mark Latham has come out and said that Chris was with the trans rights activists, which is hilarious because if anyone knows Chris, he's not. No, he really isn't. So Latham tweeted, the setup is becoming clearer by the hour. The Alphabet protesters have had their own cameraman present in Belfield last night who is now shopping footage around media for free. A working journal will be charging for it, of course. Another example of lefty political scamming. 
So, of course, the <laughs> cameraman in question was Chris. And this is hilarious. Yeah. Because it would take three minutes of research to realize that Chris isn't even close to an ally with the trans community or the gay community or even just the left in general, like at all. But the great thing also, that burn about being a working journo, because he's like a hobbyist, that he would charge for it. It was always going to get under Chris's skin. It <laughs> yeah. Just, it all totally follows this sort of dopey narrative that anything bad on the right is actually anti-fascist. So you've got January 6th, you've got the Nazis appearing at the Posey Park event in Melbourne, all organised by anti-fascists, like some sort of George Soros-led conspiracy. It's fucking stupid. But it does work because you have these chuds who actually believe this shit. They want to re- retain this idea of virtuousness in their cause. So anything bad that happens, oh, that's, that's the guys we're against. And they live by these things. They don't just believe it. Like, they really fucking believe it. So... Never want to miss a chance to get some attention by being cringe as fuck. Chris responded by claiming that Latham had cancelled him. So he tweeted, I'm cancelled by at real Mark Latham on at Chris Smith on air. The rainbow group, they brought with them their own camera person. Honorary Antifa rainbow membership achieved. Yeah. Okay, cool. They shot that around (laughs) free of charge to TV stations. Licensed my work, Corbo Freeloaders at Nine News Sydney. I guess he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder with them. He wasn't a working journalist trying to make an income, Sky News Australia. They run so much of my footage every week without pay, credit, or calling me. They should just rename their channel Chris Coveries by Sky News. And then he went on this whole <laughs> long, boring waffle about how Latham should know he is because they've met before, blah, blah, blah. And he's not wrong, to be fair. He just could have said it in like three characters. But fuck it, Elon Musk has made it so you can have giant tweets and he's paying him money. So like he just gets the, got these long-winded diatribes that no one wants to fucking look through. Anyway, look, it reminds me of this time some time ago when we were starting out the podcast when QAnon was big that Lynn Wood, the lunatic attorney from South Carolina who got way into Q shit around the peak of the pandemic and basically ruined his life around it. He said that the Q shaman, who was at the time facing charges for being a participant in January 6th, was Antifa as well. So when Linwood was on Twitter, which didn't last forever and he hasn't come back yet because his life has been ruined, he tweeted this alongside a picture of the Q shaman. Indisputable photographic evidence that Antifa violently broke into Congress today. And the poor old Q shaman. He's looking at actual jail time. And he responded with this. I am not Antifa or BLM. I am a QAnon and digital soldier. My name is Jake and I marched with the police and fought against BLM and Antifa in Phoenix. And I've never stopped loving that tweet. I just find it so fucking funny. But it speaks volumes to the way in which the right will absolutely throw their own under the bus when it suits them. If you look bad in public... All of a sudden, you're a lefty, which is the thing they've told you to fight against for God knows how long with God knows how many personal risks. Anyway, look, that was a little bit off topic. So let's get back to Christo-fascists because that's what we're here for. Yeah, so Christian Sukar was arrested because, you know, these right-wing rubes can't help but post their crimes online. So (laughs) after he posted that video, the cops dragged him into the station. And, you know, because Chris is just such a good guy to everyone around... Chris went in to help. Oh my so Chris God. went in and made a statement to the police That's in favour of so Christian bad. Sukar. Oh, my that God. could only be labelled as pretty pro-CLM. Yeah. So this yeah. this level of which he's sucking up to these guys that pretty much ultimately tried to put him in hospital is just embarrassing. They were going to beat the shit out of him. And 
as a side note as well, like these vicious protests, they always seem to be underpinned by an excuse. So the act of intimidation in Newtown was underpinned by that joke on television that made them all upset, you know, like Jesus getting nailed for a few days and coming back for more. They claimed that at the church event, there was a crucifix that was broken and it was sort of used to justify this sense of violence and outrage. The incitement of violence came before the event. So claiming this is the basis for their backlash is absolute bullshit. But the actual claim of a crucifix being broken which has been a way that people like Latham, Jamal, and the church representatives can sort of divert blame onto the car protesters. Well, it may never have happened. Yeah, that's right. So the entire claim is based around a social media post that was put up on TikTok. So the person who put up this post responded saying, they snapped across and whilst apparently fearing for their lives, they decided to further taunt us with signs demeaning us as a group. Someone then responded to that saying, where's the video? And they've gone, oh, it's on my phone, but I'm not posting it thanks to these new laws where police can, like, search your phone without a warrant if they just have suspicion. Yeah. It smells a lot like bullshit to me. That's basically like the sort of, you know, social media sort of culture wars equivalent of saying, yeah, I've got a girlfriend. She's beautiful, but she goes to another school, so I can't I can't introduce her to her. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Her dad's really strict, but she definitely exists. So- in the Sydney Morning Herald article you were interviewed in, there was a great quote from Associate Professor Josh Roos, an expert in politics, religion, and extremism at Deakin University. Their words, not mine. And he said, religion no longer has the sway it once had. The church doesn't structure society in a way they're comfortable with. They feel like they're facing an existential threat, which I fucking, I was like, yes. But the next bit is like, amen times a thousand. No pun intended. It sounds remarkably similar to the guys who wanted to go off and fight a jihad to defend Islam. It takes these guys from their mundane lives and turns them into warriors and heroes, protectors of their faith. And the kids, because, you know, making this all about their kids is the rally cry that will justify any further violence because it's not about them. This is very selfless. They're fighting for the kids. What about the kids, though? Like, you know, you just make that up as you go along. You just call everyone a pedophile if you want to. Just make sure it feels good in your head before you start punching people in the face. None of this needs to be rooted in reality. The past few years have taught us that truth is meaningless when it comes to ideological crusades, even in a situation where all the information in the world is available at your fingers. I mean, why let the truth get the good way of a good lynching? It's been like this for years. I mean, probably millennia at this point. But... There is something quite special about the post-truth era where this kind of digital disinformation has made it easier to organise, easier to perpetrate, potentially easier to even get away with this kind of stuff. But either way, this kind of vicious rhetoric has become a genuine force in the political discourse, and I don't like it. So in the aftermath of all this, Christian Lives Matter have gone into a bit of a damage control. They've made their Instagram private, and they're starting to post members of car who they've identified on their Facebook page. Yeah. They've highlighted the identity of two people so far, one who writes for a socialist alternative newspaper, Red Flag, and another who simply just thinks trans people should be able to exist, which is yeah, good on. something that everyone should think. Totally reasonable. The posts are clearly meant to intimidate activists with the, the idea that if you come up against CLM, they will post your identity and then nature will take its course. Yeah. It's the kind of violent threat to an activist that is very effective at shutting them down, especially uni students with few resources that are up against violent, steroid-ridden men. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, you know, these are the kind of guys who have trading money who can just basically, you know, they've got utes. They've got, they've just got the ability to inflict so much more harm than some kid living in a fucking student co-op in camp now. I mean, I don't like it. So, look, at the end of the day, in summary, the culture wars have just gone batshit insane. This, this, this level of added violence has made it go from people sort of bickering on social media and turfs being annoying into actual real-life harm to marginalised people in the trans community who fight it hard enough to get by in a so-called tolerant society already. We do not need this. No one needs this at all. It's all nasty. I don't care if you need a purpose because your masculinity is being compromised. Find a fucking hobby. Start crocheting, you fucking idiot. So CLM have made it clear that they're not safe in Western Sydney. So you can't go to Western Sydney if you're a trans person because some fucking thug is going to come and beat the shit out of you. But it turns out you're not even safe in fucking Newtown where they turn up and they start fucking praying at you and chasing you down fucking alleyways. Passive aggressive prayer. Exactly. It's, just, it's disgusting. We In Newtown, the trans community are highly valued. They are a part of the tapestry here. And I believe that generally speaking in Newtown, in that inner west sort of vibe, the community seeks to protect trans people within it but this escalation is bad i mean what will come of it is hard to know and i don't want to be the doomsday guy like i say most people are cool but a minority of violent people can inflict untold exponential damage the thing that i do know is that these maronite lads they're not listening to me they're not listening to you but they will listen to their mothers so i am calling upon the mothers of the maronites who are causing all this shit to give their boys a clip over the ears and ground them for a month that is the only way this is going to be fixed, the mums. Unfortunately, I've seen a lot of the mums in these groups just participate. God damn it. Ah, oh, well, well, I guess we have no hope. Well, let's see what happens. But uh, for the time being, uh, we're going to keep an eye on it. Sam's going to keep an eye on it and we'll keep an eye on it and we'll all just hope this kind of blows over. But I don't know. Something tells me it's going to be a while before that happens. Yeah, I agree. Uh, thanks for coming on, mate. No worries. Thank you. We fired you. We sacked you. We dismissed you as what? As garbage, because that's all you are. You're a criminal. You're a traitor. And you're going to the biggest barbecue in history. So from Christmas dinner to you are the dinner. Thank you. That's what I'll go with. Whether it's here or abroad, you can bet sovsits have been out there sovsitting. That's what they'd love to do. I mean, we'd love to give you an update on Theresa Van Leishout, Wayne Glue, or the recently coronated Prince Kristen MacDonald, self-appointed Lord of the Abrahalos Islands. Is that how you say it? Abrahalos? Abrahalos. Yeah, Abrahalos? not quite sure. Abracadabra? Like Abracadabra mm. Islands. I'm going with that. I can name it because I'm a prince too. In Western Australia, the... Uh, just, just just, secede. But these idiots choke up already choked up courts and verdicts and that almost always consigns these clowns to a van down by the river. the river forever. Yeah, they do take a long, long time. So mm. as we record this, it's election day in New South Wales. Joel, like an idiot, <laughs> votes on election day because he is terminally addicted to mystery meat packed into a condom served on a slice of bread. Well, I breezed into a pre-poll booth on Friday evening, told a One Nation kitty to get fucked, uh, and then popped the numbers in the boxes and was out in three minutes flat. Just as a side note, dem- democracy sausages are a fucking lie. Uh, my stepbrother, um, he sent me a message showing me the beautiful, amazing inner west democracy sausage menu that he had. I go to polling places. 
I am not offered a sausage or a lamington. I just basically get harassed by people until I go in there and number 96 boxes and walk the fuck out. There was one, I think it was in Glebe that I looked at in the federal election. They were selling, you know, a, 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 you know sausage on a baguette with, you know. This one <laughs> had halloumi. Car- yeah, all that sort of stuff, caramelized. And they're like 14 bucks. They had a great one about the pokey policy where it was just you can give us 50 bucks and you'll go home with nothing but it goes to the school. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's going to going to fix too many problem gamblers just quietly. It's probably just going to, if worst case scenario, you know, be another fifty there to behind the exactly another fifty they need to scam off their family to get <laughs> get ahead. Yeah, the halloumi and egg roll was called "How Newtown Are You?" Oh yeah, yeah, that's very Newtown. It's very Newtown, isn't it? Yeah. Look, listeners outside the great state of New South Wales may be unaware of the size of the upper house ballot paper, known as the tablecloth. Ice is big. And peering at it yesterday, I noticed on the far right-hand side the U, ungrouped independents, right on the other side of the table tablecloth where the names Bozzy R and Graham D appeared at the top. D for dick. The ballot is so cumbersome to fill out in one of those tiny little booths, and, and, and the allocator preferential system is so complex, I doubt Graham, who I refuse to call Guru, Good. because in this country, sir, you don't get to give yourself a nickname. That's right. I'll call you by your surname or a nickname I come up with. I'm thinking old scrote. Old scrote, Graham. Scrote chins, bit... Bit too long. Old Scrote's good. But old Scrote Graham and Ricky Bozzy aren't really sovereign citizens. True. They say the term is an oxymoron, and believe me, they know morons. Yeah, takes one to know one. Old Scrote Graham has been a card-carrying moron since he popped out of his Mars vag and lit up a Winnie Blue on the operating table. Yeah, see, a discerning gentleman would have had a Marlboro Red. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Ricky, he won't get more than a fraction of 1% of the vote, while the Scrote We'll be fucking flat out getting a creep team together from the clowns who voted for him. I mean, really, who's voting below the line for that fucking <laughs> Can't wait to find out. But there is much going on sobsit-wise around the world. Oh. And those who have delved into the world of sobsits will know it started and continues to be a con driven by really bad advice that a sobsit has two personas, oh. one the physical, oh. the other a straw man who can rack up debt, tell a tax man to get fucked, engage people in contracts they've never actually met, then sue them for not meeting their obligations that the sobsits made up. Silence is acceptance in this parallel universe that doesn't exist. You didn't say nothing, so the contract exists. Uh. It's always been a grift, in other words. Shooting cops is just a sideline. Hey, it was my straw man who shot the joint up with that AR-15. Oh, yeah, that's my go-to defence. And the grift is real for all our Estonian listeners this weekend. Are there any? I don't know. When the oh, capital tells, they might, we might, we might have one. We've got now, tons in like Singapore, Egypt. This, this, this is a tilt for an Estonian audience. I think we actually regularly enter the Egyptian uh, Apple. We do uh, in Singapore. Yeah. I don't anyway. know why. Anyway, we love you. Uh, Talon hosts the inaugural Freedom Business Summit. Yeah. Freedom. I think you've got to say it. Freedom uh, Business Summit. Yeah. yeah. Of course, yeah. Where budding soft sits in attendance can. Take it away, Joel. Okay, this is going to suck to read. Connect with like-minded sovereign individuals, entrepreneurs, investors, global citizen experts. What is a global citizen expert? I thought they <laughs> had expert, globalists. Joel. As long as they're not Jewish, I guess it's fine. To learn about best strategies about relocation and getting second citizenship, 
Mm-hmm. Where are you going, Sealand? The fuck? <laughs> Sovereign location, independent lifestyle, and flags theory. Capitalize I didn't flags. Mm. What is flags theory? No. There's so yeah, much you, to learn. You got me. This universe is so wide. Finding best jurisdiction, incorporation, and e-residency. I kind of, mm-hmm. I kind of get that. Kind of. I kind of want to go to this. Global investing strategies, investment migration, and tax planning. Okay. Basic. Yeah, Running remote rewarding. company and managing distributed teams. Oh, I mean, that's just fucking, that's just corporate speak. Building safety net, personal sovereignty, and inner freedom. Freedom. Oh, inner freedom. That last part sounds kind of boring. Lifestyle design and holistic life approach. Ooh, yes. Learn the best strategies from world renowned speakers and companies like e residency Estonia, Safety Wing, Running Remote, Upwork. Isn't that like an actual company? And others. Freedom Business Summit is a premier online event for those looking to mitigate geopolitical risks and take their freedom back. Take their freedom back. I just want to go. I like this. Well, I've got some good news, Joe. Oh, because like, look, I want to learn from top experts. That, that's what they're, they're spruiking. I want to gain valuable insights and connect with the global community to build my freedom lifestyle, literally what they're offering. Um, I'm into it. I want, I want to go. Top experts. Not named. We haven't got any names. No, But no. they are top experts. Trust me, bro. Well, why didn't you say, you know? In my mind, I'm already in Tallinn having a splash in the Baltic before heading off to the Freedom Business Summit to learn everything about committing fraud, tax evasion, and maybe do a bit of firearms training if my straw man comes across some coppers. Oh, yeah. Well, my AR-15 has way too many bullets in it. Look. The good news, Jack, is it's actually a virtual summit and you can Hooray! watch it from your own home. So I might actually join this shit show. I just hope it's not too expensive. <laughs> yeah, be still my beating heart. You mean I can learn all about investment, migration, Sweet. e-residency and flag theory Dying to by know. just handing over my credit card numbers to a friendly Estonian man named Sergey who promises to write but never does. Bad boyfriend, bad boyfriend. The only thing that could be better is if the Sydney Caravan and Camping Holiday Super Show was on at the same time, which sadly it isn't, not until next month. Oh. Maybe I can still shell out what's left of my money, and let's face it, there won't be much, and I'll be living in a van down, down, by, down by, the by the river, river in next to no time. Top experts will tell you how. I'm a staunch patriot. I love our country. I love our freedoms. I love that in Australia you can be anything that you want to be. There is nothing and no one stopping you from achieving your hopes, your aspirations, and your dreams. It has been a huge week of Pete Evans with the conspiratorial crypto chef getting very excited about the recent Bitcoin rally on the back of good yes, old-fashioned Pete. right-wing paranoia about the economy. Oh, bless you. So predictable. They used to buy gold and throw it under their bed, clank, clank, but now they buy that funny money you can buy drugs and kids with, which is much better. Much better. Much, much better. But as Churchill said, never let a good crisis go to waste. So the conspiracy theorist Pete follows, which now includes Elon fucking Musk. Oh, he wow. loves Elon. He loves Isn't Elon. just bizarre? You want to give him one. They've decided that all the banks are about to collapse and that Bitcoin is the saviour of the financial system. It's not, though. It's that's not, that's a bad take not. and don't – no, this is not yeah, financial please advice. Don't do that. Yeah. Just, please, no. please don't go to the bank first thing Monday morning and say, 
give me the cash. I don't want the office furniture. Several you know, bitcoins, please. You could start a depression. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's not good. So El Salvador did try this, by the way. President Nayib Bukele of El Salvador, who calls himself, quote, the world's coolest dictator. Ooh. I know. I mean, I, I learned all this from Pete's Telegram. Has made it compulsory for businesses to accept Bitcoin as currency. They even made a government app for it called the Chivo Wallet. Chivo is slang for cool. He's a cool dictator. It's the cool wallet for the cool dictator. And this is basically to trade bitcoins for dollars without transaction fees, which implies that the government's actually absorbing the transaction fees because they exist. Don't you fucking worry about that. Yeah. Now, look, Jace, Pete, mate, forcing people to use bitcoins? Isn't this more like the things you bitch about when it comes to fiat currency? Not the, <laughs> we've established you don't actually know what fiat currency is, despite posting about it all the time. But like, you know, being forced to use it, the US petrodollar, maybe like, oh, actually, no, you never talk about the US petrodollar because you're actually too basic to understand it. Anyway, that's fine. It's the one consistent thing about Pete. It's his complete inconsistency. He doesn't really know what he's talking about, but he has such confidence in those dreamy eyes. I just, in that craggy face. Anyway, mm. so Pete's got it into his head that the once impending, now lapsed Tuesday Trump arrest was all about a distraction from the banking collapse, the banking collapse, mm. you know, the one we all know about. See, it's all because of Hunter Biden doing dodgy shit. <laughs> And the horrific train crash in East Palestine, Ohio, which led to a devastating chemical leak, which surrounded the town with this awful, deadly substance. There's, a bank, the, there's a bank run right there. Yeah, that, That's the reason why this is all happening. They need a distraction from all of these things. No, no. See, that's, that's conspiracy land. In reality, it was about fundraising. Yay. I mean, look, if you want to be pedantic about it, and I do, the banking collapse isn't a banking collapse. It was a bank collapse. The Silicon Valley Bank. The dude bros made some bets and they didn't pay out. And now the people have to pay them to go away. And the only reason this could happen was because of Trump era deregulation policies. A well, plus B equals C. Yes and no. Um, uh, certainly Trump did deregulate the banks, but uh, to, to smaller banks uh, and reduce their prudential requirements. Essentially, what they've been doing is buying bonds, right? Like banks buy bonds, and the smaller banks are more exposed. They buy bonds, but the bonds are being chewed up by inflation. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what's going on with these smaller banks. We don't have these issues in Australia because the prudential requirements around the big banks, it's just it's enormous. Exactly. And they, and so and they come be. with government guarantees. Yeah. So. We don't have the problems, but but around the but around the world, and particularly in the United States, and we've also seen Credit Suisse go down. I mean, a, a business that was worth eighty billion dollars last year has been sold for four. Yeah, that they is a big one. They were losing deposits at a rate of four billion dollars a day. Oof. We might cover Credit Suisse at some yeah, point because I think yeah. there's, there's so something to talk about. Please, on that. please, listeners, don't walk into the bank and say, I want cash. I will not accept the, the office furniture in lieu of payment. You will, <laughs> you will, start, you will start a depression. Well, um, well, I mean, look, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, if you do that at CBA, they won't blink. <laughs> so when it comes down to these sort of things, yes, Trump era deregulation policies had a part in this, which yeah, of course they, they don't like to talk right. about. But Hunter Biden doing dodgy shit? No one mm. fucking cares about that. 
No. No one cares. I mean, Jared Kushner got literal billions from the Saudis for doing dodgy shit when he was actually working in the White House and no one cares. He doesn't certainly talk about that. No. Well, Pete doesn't either, I suspect. No, No, it's so, so bizarre that. Pete just never sort of never mentions that. Never one. mentions it. Really, fun, but he loves talking about Hunter Biden, who never occupied a place in the, the White House. Weird. Wonder why. Tucker Carlson. The train crash in Ohio can be linked to deregulation measures implemented by. Dun, 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 dun. So, actually, hold on. Fuck, I've got a real lapse of memory. Who's that guy that likes walking in on teenagers getting changed in rooms? Oh, oh no, teenage no, 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 girl. Teenage girls, you mean? Teen- teenage girls. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. sure if he really discerns. Who's the guy who wants to fuck his daughter? Who's that guy? Um, Who's that guy? Yeah. Is it? Oh, Donald Trump. Yeah, Donald yeah, Trump. Yeah, that's his name. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, I, yeah. I just I find it hard to remember him because he's just so rarely in the news. They roll back a fucking train break rule at the behest of the railroad industry, and also hazardous material regulations watered them down too. And as a result, derailments have gone up. Uh oh. So Pete's here fucking bitching about how these fucking terrible incidents are awful. And they're all to do with his fucking saviour. But let's get back to the real reason why Donald Trump's arrest was imminent. Fundraising. That's it. Taking money from morons. So we all heard the word from Donnie himself that his arrest was impending. And for the most part, we believed it because generally speaking, ex-presidents tend to act in good faith. Why did we expect that? As with everything Donnie does, it was a complete circus. He called for his supporters to protest, which I mean, they would have done anyway. Will he be in handcuffs? Apparently he wanted to be taken away in handcuffs. What, for like a cool Instagram moment? This was also to make his supporters upset. But what what do upset supporters do? Mm, very interesting element of the Trump arrest. And it's really, as we just as we said in our premium episode, it's really just him saying he's going to be arrested. That's the, it. The we did that in the premium episode, York, yes. The New York uh, DA's indictment. I, still, I think the grand jury is still sitting. I think it's so still we, going, yep. No, that doesn't mean an indictment can't occur, but it's likely not to. Well, it's certainly, certainly Tuesday came and went and nothing happened. That's right, because he made it up. Yeah, so, but there's an interesting element to this because he's actually being sued civilly for rape of one particular person. Really? I won't go into the details a lot, but when he's arrested, Joel, if and when he's arrested. If and when, yes. Uh, he gets his... Uh, finger, finger, uh, fingers, Ooh. fingerprints taken, and also jaw, cheek swab. Oh no, he's fucked. Mandatory in New York, baby. Ooh. So yeah, have a bit wow. of this. Have a bit of this, Donny. I mean, that's when and if he's the only one who's saying he's going to get arrested. But well, that's it. That's it. Because I mean, like. In the end, and this is the thing that makes me makes me laugh at this whole thing, conspiracy theorists are blabbing on about bank collapses. They're blabbing on about fucking terrible disasters that are arguably all Donald Trump's indirect fault. Mm-hmm. This whole entire thing was designed to just get him to to, to give him money. It's all yep. about fundraising. And it yep. fucking worked. His idiot cult threw money at him to defend his good name against the big, bad, deep state. So this is what the fundraising email actually said. This is a quote. Barricades are being set up around Manhattan Criminal Court as a nation awaits an announcement on whether President Donald J. Trump will be, in caps, indicted, despite having committed, also in caps, caps. no crime. I know. Please make a contribution to stand with President Trump at this critical moment for 1,500% impact. What's that mean? 
It doesn't mean fucking anything. It doesn't mean anything, does it? But it's, it's a good the, number. It looks just, terrific. Gamified political donations because someone figured out people are morons. If you give them a dollar, it will actually mean $1,500 worth of impact. It's great. That's not how the percentage works. I yes. love it. So this stunt, all based on a complete fabrication by Trump, raised $1.5 million of absolute <laughs> easy money. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. So as for the banking collapse... Well, in a very Monica Smith moment, Marga Chuds have decided that hitting the streets for their orange overlord is a bit much. It's a bit of an effort. You know, the diabetes is really kicking in. They don't, they don't really want to work down those calories. So they're just planning a run on the banks. <laughs> so, yes, a bunch of dipshits in Q merchandise have been hitting up ATMs to withdraw their money, to stick it to the banking system. Take that, capitalism. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hate socialism, but I'm sure something... Capitalism, I'm not sure. Russians, tell me what to think. So one genius on Twitter named CryptoPolka came up with this. No, there will be no violence. If Trump gets arrested, they are planning to pull their money out of the banking system. You will see a bank run of mass proportions. It won't take much right now to crash the entire monetary system. Okay, yeah, that's, yeah. that's dumb. And then there was a response to that which said this. I absolutely in caps, mm-hmm. I'm going to take every penny out of my local bank when this travesty occurs. Make sure to tell me your address uh, and where you're keeping it uh, when you when, when you do that. It's uh, <laughs> part of the, the, the social contract of the Trump organization. My straw man with my AR-15. I <laughs> pop around. Actually, to be have fair, have a bit they, of rummage under your bed. They have an AR-15 too, so maybe not. And oh, it's yeah, quite likely they'd never leave the house too. But look, I, I know, like it, to me, it was crazy to think that Crypto Polka had no idea how banking works. <laughs> it is very, very, but you it, know, it, it, it was a huge shock to me. It, it looks like you might be an idiot. I'm. I, it's, 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 it's been a rough week. It's entirely possible. It's been a hard week for everyone. So let's look at this again. Pete sees that Trump is being arrested for a crime. Instead of looking at the facts that Trump misappropriated funds to give hush money to a porn star he fucked on the sly, he decided to follow a conspiracy narrative that gives him the story he wants to hear. And that's all the distraction from the evil things the people he's been told not to like are doing. Their plans were foiled. And they would have got away with it too if it weren't for that pesky sex pest David Avocado Wolf. <laughs> As usual, Pete lives in a fantasy land of his own making. He simply believes what he wants to believe, his own truth, so to say. It's just bizarre that the truth he wants to believe is that a New York real estate con man off television who inherited his wealth, who fucks around with his wife and gets horny around teenagers, is one of the greatest men in history. <laughs> And he will believe almost anything that supports this wild concept that underpins his bigoted, angry worldview. Bizarre. Now, speaking of bizarre, Zibby has not been idle. Oh, his Twitter Zibby has is been bizarre. utterly, mm. oh, he's so bizarre. He's been sharing weird Trump memes and generally just getting more shameless. It's like, hold on, they can't really fire me, huh? Well, test a theory, my friend. He's joined the TikTok is evil because it's Chinese bandwagon and will almost certainly waste Senate time trying to ban it. I'm okay with this because I hate TikTok, but it's not very free to me, is it? No, banning things generally not free to me. Yeah, banning, yeah, yeah, book burning and stuff like that. So he recently went on an excursion to a shooting range. We had a bit of a crack at a pistol. I'm so proud of him. It's beautiful. He posted this alongside the two photos. Just before we get on to that, Joel, I I think, you know, if you you were the, uh, the sort of gun expert handing the shooter to Zippy, you'd go, um, you know, so that point that 
Point that away from your face. Oh, no, there was no bullets in that gun, I fucking assure you. <laughs> I absolutely assure you. Even though like an unloaded gun like that tends to be cocked back, you can easily like take the bullets out and cock it. Like, it's, anyway, it's, this is this is yeah, a zipster on was, Twitter. That was unloaded. <clears throat> Having a chat to Senator Hanson at the gun range, had a great time shooting some targets. Senator Hanson is actually a pretty good shot. Well, she sent a couple of blokes over to... Organise a bit of NRA money, didn't she? Yeah, we'll get to that. We will get to that. Mm-hmm. So the two photos, one of him sitting at the range being reasonably normal. He has got like rolled up sleeves, which is, I guess, that's what you expect from his Because oh, he's such a hard worker, John. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. He's rolling up his sleeves, not because he's just a weird guy who buys shirts from Connor. The other is a photo of himself holding a gun, wearing his sunnies, no ear protection, which <laughs> speaks volumes to whether that gun was loaded or not. And yep. a pistol, trying to look badass with a really badly photoshopped, very low-resolution Australian flag in the background with this sort of white halo around him. It's very 1993, and mm. I, I just, I, it's cringe as fuck. I'm imagining he paid Ruction to do this, probably taxpayers' money. It's an absolute shambles of a shot and just embarrassing content. I will give it to this, though. I'll give this sippy. He didn't have his finger on the trigger while posing for the vanity shot. No. Something tells me he would have if there wasn't someone in, in the background yelling out, take your finger off the trigger! Because <laughs> he's not a smart man. You I don't, don't, you know. But I, I'll give him respect about his trigger discipline. It was there. Yeah, well done. But let's face it, Zippy is the reason why we have gun laws. He is pretty much the poster boy for why gun laws are a good idea. And I love shooting and I hate the licensing process. I don't have one right now and I'd love to have one. I fully support the process because Zippy exists. Well, they're not going to hand out. You're living in, living in the Sydney CBD. What do you need a fucking shotgun for, buddy? No, nah, we get a pistol license. Oh, shooting pistols. But let's face it, I went to the States and they just basically said, oh, give mate. me $50 in your passport and I'm going to take you, I, I'm going to give you a gun and a bunch of rounds. Good yeah. luck. The States are great. So you would think that Senator Hanson wanted to stay away from public displays with firearms after it was exposed in 2019 that James Ashby and Steve oh, Dixon him. were stung by an Al Jazeera journo posing as an NRA lobbyist trying to get money for the party. Yeah. Aww. They asked for around $20 million to sprit guns in Australia and they got on the source, as they said, and bent over for the gun guy who was going to give them some cash. Amazing, so amazing. She would allow this massive reminder of that actual scandal to be posted around social media to make Babbitt look cool. To me, like they were actually filmed at a strip club. I don't know if you it remember was, yeah, this. yeah, yeah. They were at a strip club and to me the greatest scandal was Steve Dixon poking $1 notes into strippers' bras. <laughs> I mean, $1? What? Come on, mate. Not Come in this on, economy. Mate. You can do better than that. <laughs> so when that scandal broke out, the statement, the official statement from One Nation read this. It is understood One Nation was targeted because of its strong approach to reducing immigration numbers and a travel ban on countries with terrorism links. Yeah, no, you were targeted because you're stupid and your voters are stupid and you do absolutely no due diligence when openly discussing matters of state. So Zippy is going over to the US this year. And I absolutely, I just fucking dread to think what he's going to say to people over there in meetings. If he has <laughs> access to high level people, as like, you know, oh. he's probably going to lie his way into some some strong meetings. What's he going to fucking say? I just hope we find out because it's just going to make this section, make this segment really easy to write. Yeah, well, he could be sitting in a lot of lobbies too. 
for a long time. I think that's going to be the case. You have been listening to the Conditional Release Program with your host, Jack the Insider, and Joel Hill. Jack, we found on Twitter on at Jack the Insider and Joel on at Crunchy Moses with AK. So a Facebook page you can find fairly easily. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it widely on social media or just tell your friends about it. Write it on napkins. Spray paint it in bathrooms. Yes. Mm, and we have a Patreon, as we said at the front of the show, to help keep this sustainable. It's bloody time consuming and we still have to pay rent. Help keep the lights on, please, people. Yes, the landlord hasn't changed his mind. For as little as $5 a month, you'll have access to all sorts of bonus content, including a weekly premium episode. And we try and make it worth your while. It's usually like some pretty good shit. We do, we do. We sort of freestyle a bit. And finally, yes, yes, we do. We do enjoy that. There's more swearing. And finally, all feedback, tips, and death threats should be sent to the conditional release program at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, even if it's to tell us that Sweden makes the best furniture in the world but only on a metric that measures how many deaths per 100,000 cabinets built. It's one. Mm, ouch. Don't know about that, mate. But they do make a nice meatball. Yeah, let's focus on meatball. But is the meatball made from the people dying from the cabinet building? <laughs> Can't be sure. It's that. It's that. It tastes a bit like chicken. Yeah. It tastes like Volvo. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks listeners. listeners. See you See next ya. time. I don't think I ever want to talk to any of those people. Fuck me, you guys are bad.